AMVETS EAD Post 24, and the veterans community lost a very special friend recently. A man who had OIC'd or been the officer in charge of these red, white, and blue church services for many, many years, at least eight that I can remember. Um, he was also very active in the veterans community. He uh, appeared at every Veteran of the Month service for at least 10 years in, in Bantam, and he was active with the uh, group in Torrington. He was just everywhere and everything, and he was a man who took charge and got things done. His name was Brian Richardson, and he was taken unexpectedly. We ask that you join us and, a, and his comrades in a moment of silence. Please. For the purpose of the invocation, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. George Hyland. Mr. George Hyland. May we pray together. Almighty God, you are sovereign over all. And we thank you for this great country in which we live. We thank you, Father, for those of our founding fathers who look to the principles of the Word of God in creating a nation that has stood these many, many years based upon the truths that led them to the government that we now have, the liberty that they fought for and fell and served. And we honor each one, Father, who from that day forward have stood together as one to serve this nation and protect it against enemies within and without. And for these veterans who gather here today, we give you thanks, Father, for their service for this one who has lost from our ranks even so recently. We pray for his family. We thank you that we can remember these and honor these who have given the ultimate sacrifice. We think of the price that was paid for our redemption, for our salvation in Christ Jesus even the very Son of God who gave his life and who said for a friend, a person may da lay down his life, but even for his enemies, our Christ laid down his life. But we thank you that he had power to take it up again, and it is that power, our Father, that we call upon even this day as we give honor to those who served, for those who have fallen and the families who grieve over that, even in these days, we ask your blessing. We ask your grace. And we thank you that we can come together on this occasion thanking you and thanking Father those who have served so valiantly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is my pleasure 
to introduce past department and district commander of the American Legion, and currently serving as post commander of AMVETS Edward A. Dugulkinski, post 24 of Northwestern Connecticut. Daniel Thurston of Harwinton to convey our welcoming and opening, opening remarks. Mr. Thurston. Thank you, John. Good afternoon, and welcome to the 13th uh, annual Red, White, and Blue uh, service. Honoring the, uh, all those that have served or are serving in uniform in service of the United States of America. I'm a veteran of the Vietnam War, the unpopular war. Over 50 years ago, our elected leaders made a decision to send us into harm's way. When we go to war, we expect our leaders to stake their political careers on the outcome. We expect a nation to stand behind us. For the veterans of Vietnam, this was not to be. But the youth of this nation answered the call to serve this nation and go halfway around the world to a country whose language, customs, and culture we did not understand. But we learned. We learned the ways of the, our neighbors in the Southeast uh, Asia. We learned to speak some of their language. We learned their customs. We also learned many other things. We learned to fight in race paddies, in dense jungles, in fortifications buried deep in the ground. We learned about Agent Orange and how it defoliated the trees. It would be many years before we would learn that the 22.5 million gallons of uh, uh, Agent Orange and the dioxide that it contains would leave many Vietnam veterans with cancer, other illnesses. And even today, many of those that have served suffer from, the, uh, from ailments due to Agent Orange. Today, more than half of our ranks have gone, many from Agent Orange, and many still live with that, with that burden. We'll never forget the sound of the Huey, the sound of the Dragon ships or the Phantom. We'll never forget the rain, so heavy that you couldn't see 10 feet in front of you. And we'll never forget our brothers that have never returned. The Vietnam Wall lists 58,267 <clears throat> heroes that gave their lives in the, for a people they did not know. 612 alone were from Connecticut. After nearly 50 years, many are still missing or unaccounted. The fall of Saigon on April 30th, 1975, marked a dramatic and painful conclusion of the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War cost millions of lives. The real carnage occurred in South Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos after the U.S. pullout. 
The people that supported us are still hunted because the war has never been brought to a peaceful conclusion. In Hanoi, the capital of North Vietnam, there's a museum and war memorial. Recorded in that uh, Vietnam War Memorial are the memoirs of General Giop, a military leader of the North Vietnamese Army. He wrote, what we still do not understand is why Americans stopped the bombing of Hanoi. You had us on the ropes. If you had pressed us a little harder, just a few more days, we would have surrendered. It was the same for the Battle of Tet. You had won. You had had the victory. Yes, the military had won, but politically, it was a disaster. Vietnam veterans were abandoned by the politicians in the nation that sent them to war. The war in Vietnam is over, but the consequences still affect society today. Today, it's the children and grandchildren of the Vietnam generation that are serving in the Middle East and protecting this nation. Make no mistake, our armed forces are protecting the homeland today. They are faced with new challenges. They are learning to fight in urban environments, in the desert, and in enemy fortifications in the mountains. They are learning to identify the enemy that wears no uniform. They are learning how to locate and eliminate the threat of IEDs. And I'm sure that they will never forget the sandstorms that infiltrate everything around them. Lest we forget the lessons of Vietnam, history can repeat, but with greater consequences. The war in Southeast Asia was not an immediate or direct threat to the United States. We are engaged in a war that has come to our shores not once, but twice. And if we ignore the message that 9-11 brought, I'm sure that the victors will not be as kind in their record, recorded history. I'm asking you to join with me in the Vietnam veterans. When we vow, never again will one generation of veterans abandon another. To my brothers and sisters, welcome home. I just want to take a moment to thank all the members of the uh, post that stepped up to make this service a success today after Brian Richardson's passing. He will long be remembered. He did a lot for the veterans and for our post, and we, we mourn his passing. It now gives me a uh, pleasure to introduce our featured guest uh, speaker, Andrew Phipps. 
He is an inspirational speaker and award-winning uh, award educator, longtime radio television broadcaster, and uh, civilian and political leader. A man on a mission to share the love of God and country and through an inspirational message. Andrew? March the 23rd, 1775, Patrick Henry stood in front of the church in Virginia. He said, it is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. The gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has already begun. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? The next gale from the north will bring to our ears the resounding clash of arms. What is it that the gentlemen seek? What is it that they wish? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but it's for me. Give me liberty or give me death. There is a just God that presides over the destinies of nations. The battle is not ours alone, sir. Pat Buchanan in his book, The Death of the West, said in half a lifetime, many Americans have seen their God dethroned, their country invaded, their values assaulted, and themselves demonized as bigots and extremists for holding on to beliefs that Americans have held for generations. Robert Frost, familiar with this area, 1922, wrote a poem that's very poignant. It's very didactic, and it has something to say to each of us. He titled it, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. He said, whose woods are these? I think I know. He lives in the village, though he will not see me stopping here to watch these woods fill up snow. My horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Dr. Joe Wright, speaking before the Kansas State Senate, gave a prayer. And in the prayer, he said some things that some folks did not like too well. The honorable Christian pastor said this. He said, in our lifetime, he said, we come before you, O God, to ask for your forgiveness. We know that your word says woe to those that call evil good, but that's exactly what we've done. We've exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We've killed our unborn and called it choice. 
We polluted the air with profanity and called it freedom of expression. We've ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search our hearts today, O God, and cleanse us from every stain. 1776, five men gathered together. One man was 43 years of age. His name was John Adams. There was another gentleman there from our neighboring state of Pennsylvania. He was in his 70s, Benjamin Franklin. There was a man from Connecticut, Roger Sherman present. And then there was a man from New York, Robert Livingston. But perhaps the more sagacity of the bunch might have been Thomas Jefferson from Virginia. And in the pen that Mr. Jefferson wrote are some beautiful words. He expressed the hope of America. He said, our nation, he said, as we have been given God honorable rights, he said, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. A decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that when any government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. Eleven years later, we started a document that became not only like the Declaration, which was organic law, but our Constitution. And in the preamble, we gave six reasons why we wanted such a document. It said, we, the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. William Cullen Bryant, a great poem, poet, wrote poetry that should be very poignant and it should be specially germane to each of our lives. And here's what he wrote in Thanatopsis. He said, so live that when thy summons comes to join the innumerable caravan, which moves to that mysterious rim where each shall take his chamber in the silent halls of death. Thou goest not like the quarry slave scourged to his dungeon at night, but sustained and soothed by an unfaltering trust. Approach thy grave like one who wraps the drapery of his couch about him and lies down to pleasant dreams. 
My first cousin died last year on May the 9th. He was one of five remaining World War II Congressional Medal of Honor winners. From a little town in Stearns, Kentucky, 95 years of age, we called him Wib. Sergeant York, Alvin C. York, a World War I fame came to give homage when they had Wibb's celebration on June the 16th, 1945. Sergeant York had earned his commendations at the Argonne Force on October the 8th, 1918. My cousin got his at St. Jacques, France on October the 30th, 1945. But let me close because we're all patriots with something that I think will uplift our spirits. It was written by a man that is the hope that we all have, and it's simply titled, The Common Man. The gentleman said this, I was driving alone out in the country one day when I spotted a small frame house with shingles on top, and something about it just made me want to stop. I pulled my car to the side of the road near a field that had just been freshly hoed. I walked over to the man and hastened to say, I don't mean to intrude, but he said, Howdy, friend. Won't you sit a spell? The Lord sent you here because I've got a story to tell. You see, my wife died about two years ago when my boy and I were building this little frame house. We battled the wind, the rain, and the snow. Life was hard, but God was good. And after supper, we'd take down the Bible, and we'd read and pray, and we managed to get along somehow, some way, that is, until the postman came with that letter that day. You see, my son had to go and answer his call, country's call, and I can just see him standing there now, so straight and tall. He said, Dad, I want to thank you now for teaching me how to pray, and I'll go and do my best to defend a way of life for folks like you and me and the common man. Well, life was lonely, but God was still good. Never once in a while I'd get a letter telling me that he were lonely, wishing that he were home. But sir, my life went to pieces and I couldn't even pray when I got the wire that said, your son was killed in action today. And I said, God, it doesn't seem fair now to take my only boy. Life's been so hard, this doesn't seem to be my share. But one night, while praying by my bedside, it was as if my boy appeared to me in a vision with his hand right there on my knee. He said, Dad, you disappoint me now. Why, if your faith in God and country waned now, I died in vain. 
Why, through the heat of the battle, I could feel your prayers. I knew that you were lonely and wishing that I were home. But dad, you must remember, you weren't the first to give your only son. And somehow, my brother, the clouds parted back and God came right back into view. And that's why you were sent here today so I could tell my story too. And as I left that little frame house that day, I prayed, please God, help us to understand that the hope of America lies in our faith in God and the common man. Daniel M. Edinger joined the United States Army in 1965 after completing four years of junior ROTC at Omaha, Nebraska, in Omaha, Nebraska. Dan's first duty assignment was with the Old Guard at Fort Myers, Virginia. Private Edinger was selected as a tomb guard in the late 1966. In 1967, now Specialist E-4 Edinger went to Vietnam, assigned to the 4th Infantry Division and later the 25th Infantry Division. Dan received two Purple Hearts while in country. After 12 years as an enlisted man, Dan decided to go to officer candidate school as an, and as an officer served as an armored platoon leader, infantry company commissioned officer and operations officer for an air cav unit and staff officer for a division. Dan retired as major from the United States Army in 1992 after 26 years of military service. Currently, Major Edinger is a department commander for the Military Order of the Purple Heart here in Connecticut and lives in Torrington, Connecticut with his wife, June. Mr. Edinger, Daniel. Chow Om, Chow Ba, Chow Ko Ben Joy, Toi Le Tun Le An Den, Dive Vietnam, Samui Ba, Samui Tam. Now what I think I just said, <laughs> because Vietnam is not a romantic language, it's a guttural language, and so the inflection of the voice may change. For an example, the number three in Vietnamese is Ba. A married woman in Vietnamese is Ba. And an old cow in Vietnamese is ba. So, and I say that because I was raised on a dairy farm in Irvington, Nebraska, and I knew old cows very well. <laughs> but my first experience in Vietnam, um, as we were going through the jungle, moving toward a village, there was an open rice paddy between the, the jungle and the village. Up out of the rice paddy stands this huge animal. It has horns about this big on each side, and it was about a 2,000-pound water buffalo. Now, my platoon sergeant calls me forward at the time, and he says, Hey, you were raised on a dairy farm. What do we do with that? 
First of all, that's not a cow. <laughs> and secondly, we're not in Nebraska anymore. <laughs> so th those are my fond remembrances of Vietnam. I want to read you something uh, I was asked to write a few years ago. I have to get my peepers on. It's called Faded Green. Faded green, light is dimmed. In my dreams, the shadows are still sharp. Memories of old friends and lost loves run across my mind. In the shadows after sunset, only the brave will dream of dawn. Days pass in a world far away. Friends die to save a dream. Faded green in fields of sorrow, and I live on. Names now dawn of E-shaped granite in a place of hallowed ground. Lives lost and faces gone. Their names now stamped in stone. Days pass in a world far away. Friends die to save a dream. Faded green in fields of sorrow. And I live on. I live on. No tears, no smiles, no warm hugs can ease that pain. So Vietnam started way back in 1955. The Tet Offensive started in 1968 in January, lasted all the way through till September. The second Tet Offensive happened from 1971 and 72, and the war ended in April 27, 1975. Over three million Americans served in Vietnam. Over three million served in Vietnam. 58,000-plus names are on that wall today. Of those, 27 of those are from this area alone. And that brings me back to another little reading here. We have in our midst a lot of Vietnam veterans. And this is what happens to us in the real world. In that moment after the firefight, before the dawn, one sits and reflects on what has happened. Just for that moment, everything is still. Visions of old friends and lost loves run across our mind. And we replay the incident all the way back to the very first shot. The entire moment is just but a flash in time, but it re stays with us and in our memory forever. At the end of that moment, before reality returns, you feel a small breeze. Was that breeze the sigh of the grim reaper, or was it the breath of an angel's kiss? And I submit to you today, for those people who have survived the wars of Vietnam and other wars, that was the breath of an angel's kiss. And we have to think about that as we do go from day to day. We have God with us and by us and around us, and the angels will take care of us. We're not just a small group of fighting men and women who just happen to be Vietnam veterans. We are survivors that have returned home from an unpopular war. We have lived through the stories and the pains of being survivors. It is because of your participation as a survivor, that we will not allow our military to be looked at as a negative value. It is because of you, the survivors, that Americans are 
recommended or seen to come home in an honorable manner. This year, when you go to Memo- on Memorial Day, when you go to the cemetery, stand at the gate. Look out over the, the stones. And if you're really aware of what's going on, you will see men and women, some in uniform, some in civilian clothes, some saluting and some smiling because you remembered them on Memorial Day. I salute you as survivors and welcome home. Thank you, Mr. Edinger. Now I have the uh, distinction of uh, uh, announcing our final speaker, Dr. Ann, can't read my hand right, doctor, come on up, Dr. Huck, she is the uh, historian for the town of New Hartford. Ann Hall, that's what it was. Thank you. It seems somewhat appropriate after hearing about Vietnam and 50 years now, well, grandchildren, children, to look back 100 years to events that happened now in no longer in living memory. And so I have here today just a few excerpts from a letter written in the summer and fall of 1918 by a resident of New Hartford, one Captain Bradford Ellsworth, who was the intelligence officer for the 306th of the 77th Division uh, from New York. And he wrote this letter after the close of the war on the 23rd of November. La Nufour, my dear dad and all, it seems strange to start a letter by naming a town, and stranger still this town, for this is where we started the great drive through the Argonne Forest to the Meuse. Since August 10th, this regiment has slept under the open sky right up until the 11th of November. As soon as the end was cro- reached, we came here, or rather to Givray, in trucks, and started the greatest forest fighting in history. On September 20th, at 5 a.m., the start of the attack with the artillery. Lordy, how did they roar. Some days we would nibble off a kilo, other days not a foot, but never could the Bosch make us give way a foot. The Argonne is as thick a woods as you have ever seen, steep ravines covered with thick underbrush, and it was defended by the 120th Division Landwehr troops, who had been in these same woods for 18 months. They were a first-class division and made up of woodsmen who knew every path and trick in those damnable woods. Dad, I'll never go into the woods again or underbrush without my heart in my throat. It was impossible to discover a machine gun nest except by the sudden cutting down of yourself or someone else. The manual says the machine gun nest shall be destroyed by flank attacks and by the use of hand and rifle grenades and the 37 gun. Hoche, the man or board who wrote that knows nothing. Did he ever try to throw a ball and have his arm caught by brush 
or fire a rifle grenade, which would be stopped by the woods in 10 feet, or pull the lanyard, knowing that the shell would explode as soon as it left the muzzle. You can bet something he wasn't thinking of the Argonne. Use your auxiliary arms, the manual says. Another joke. The arms you used were your own, and 22 days of hand-to-hand -hand fighting was what we got. The regiment got that and ended up with that brilliant and expensive taking of Saint-Jouvent and Hill 182. That was in the open, wide open, and it was this that carried men forward, who were so worn and weary that they would sleep when halted under the heaviest kind of shell fire. It was the relief after being stifled by underbrush and woods that made us take that hill and carried two and part of another battalion against three regiments of Germans, youngsters this time, a guard division, and we licked them to a standstill. Two regiments of Hell's children counterattacked, and they were beaten to death, those who didn't get by as prisoners. I'll never forget the days of October 10th and 14th. It took 12 of my best friends in that regiment that one afternoon of the 14th. But they died the most glorious death in the world, and we mourn them not. We speak of them as good old Crandall or good old Sweeney, and they did something. But as for staying in the Army, Dad, no. I've done enough. I'm tired. So damned tired I'll never get rested, it seems to me. Personally, the war has brought me knowledge of men and things, what they think, even without their speaking. It has brought me a greater love for my country. It has brought me the satisfaction of doing my job well. And Dad, I'll stop before it gets too much. But Dad, I'm through. We'll see you soon. Your affectionate son, Bradford. The American Creed, as instituted by the resolution of the United States House of Representatives on April 3, 1918. The presentation will be led by Mr. Wayne Wilson of Warren, Connecticut. Using the text in your program, please join in. Mr. Wilson, it's your pleasure. Thank you, Commander Lilly. American's Creed. I believe in the United States of America as a government of the people, by the people, for the people, whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed. A democracy and a republic, a sovereign nation of many sovereign states, a perfect union, one and inseparable, established upon those principles of freedom, quality, justice, and humanity for which American patriots sacrifice their lives and fortunes. I therefore believe it is my duty to my country to love it, to support its constitution, to obey its laws, to respect its flags, and to defend it against all enemies. Thank you. We will now have our fallen warrior ceremony. Ladies and gentlemen, the final parts of the ceremony will take place out of doors in front of the church where taps and three volleys will be fired 
in honor of all those who made the ultimate sacrifice. Please wait until military exit, com components exit before you exit to view the closing. Now we'll do the fallen warrior ceremony. We are honored to be able to gather here today to remember those veterans who have given their lives for the preservation of our American ideals, life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. To show our respect to our brothers in arms who have fallen in battle, we are proud to conduct this fallen warrior ceremony. Since ancient time, fighting men have paid respect to their fallen brethren by erecting a small battlefield monument which is comprised of his battle gear and weapons and, he let, and which lets others know that this sacrifice will not be easily forgotten. Times have changed and the sword and spear have been replaced by the rifle and bayonet. This small array of battle gear is our symbol of reverence to those who have passed on before us. You may be seated. The benediction will be offered by Mr. David McGee. Mr. McGee. What an honor to be able to stand here before you wonderful people dressed in my uniform, which I wear proudly. And to be able to stand here and pray in the name of Jesus Christ Amen. without fear of some government official busting in here and taking me away as a prisoner. And I can do that because of our men and women who have answered the call. Amen. They've stepped forward and they've laid their lives on the line to purchase our freedom. Amen. And now would you please bow your heads with me and allow me to lead you before the very throne of Almighty God, the one who made all of this possible. Our Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we have gathered here today in this sacred place to honor you, to worship you first and foremost. But we know that it is because of you that we're able to do this. For you've told us in your holy word that the Son shall make you free you shall be free indeed. But we've also gathered here today, dear God, to honor all of our veterans from all of our military services, the past, the present, and the future. We beg of you, O oh God, that you would protect them, bless them, them and their families, in their service to this country we pray, dear God, and we understand that coming very soon now is Memorial Day. The day that we United citizens, we the citizens of the United States of America, we have set aside 
to honor all of those through all of the wars who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And I understand in my heart, dear God, I know that Memorial Day for many will be much more than a holiday. It will be much more than having a picnic, but it will be a time of sorrowful reflection. It will be a time of grieving, a time of bereavement for their lost loved ones who fought and died for this country. Father, I'm reminded of your word in the Holy Scriptures where you have told us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comfort. And so again, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, thank you for the freedom that we have. May we never, ever, ever forget the cost of our freedom, for indeed it is not free. We honor you, Jesus, the greatest veteran of all, for it's in your name that we pray. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, the last part of this ceremony will take place out of doors in front of the church, where taps and three volleys will be fired in honor of those who have paid the ultimate price. Taps will be unusual because two rounds will be fired from the rifle or honor squad, and the final round will be fired from, a big surprise, the cannon. If you read the little uh, blurb handed out to you, it gives a little history of that cannon. Please await the exit of the military units before the congregation leaves, because the military units will have to go out on the lawn, and the church uh, congregation can stand on the steps in case it's sprinkling, keep dry. Okay. Please wait after the military units have exited and then line up in front of the church. Following the final part of the ceremony, there'll be refreshments and fellowship downstairs. Everybody, please rise. Flag commander.